Hello and welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. Um, as you probably know, the Resist movement to join forces with the Workers' Party earlier this year and the Workers' Party Congress at the weekend, I was elected as the deputy leader. And since that time, I'm delighted to say that the campaigning GP, Bob Gill, has now decided to join the Workers' Party as well. Bob has been campaigning about the destruction of the National Health Service now for a good number of years and produced an excellent film called The Great NHS Heist. And if you haven't already seen that, it's well worth a watch. You can Google it and find it on YouTube. I'm not sure if it's on other platforms as well, but I believe it's certainly on, on YouTube and, and it's certainly well worth a watch and well worth a share as well. So if we could get uh, Bob on the screen and... Uh, it's uh, good to have you on, on board. Bob, welcome to uh, Resistance uh, TV again. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good. Well, I mean, let's just go straight into it then, Bob. I mean, I know you've been thinking about uh, joining the Workers' Party for some time and you've, you've finally taken the plunge. Uh, just tell us why you've actually made the decision now to, to join forces with us. Well, I think the uh, what concentrated my mind was the recent unfolding humanitarian disaster in Gaza, uh, which seems to have the endorsement of the Labour Party. Um, you know, our political elite are quite happy to endorse genocide. And I think people need to realise if you can endorse genocide abroad, you can bring uh, very dangerous policies at home. And unfortunately, my experience of campaigning on the NHS for, for about 10 years now, it's clear to me that what we have in place is a cross-party consensus, which is dismantling public services and clearly premeditate, premeditatedly putting patients at risk of harm and death. Um, and, you know, I came up to the Workers' Party open meeting on Saturday and what I, what I heard I liked and I thought, well, if not now, when? And, uh, you know, the Workers' Party seems to be uh, aligned with many of my views on um, what needs to happen to make this country a fairer society, particularly uh, reverse the trend to exacerbate gross inequality, you know, and diversion of money to the super rich. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Workers' Party was founded in 2019, 2020, I think, or certainly after the 2019, just after the 2019 general election, which was uh, obviously in December. I think it was early 2020 when it actually uh, got uh, founded uh, fully, and I mean, since that time, it's been on a on a growth trajectory. Um, uh, you know, members are seemingly, you know, flocking to to join the Workers' Party. It's still a small entity at the moment, but I think it has the chance to potentially make a breakthrough in the uh, election. Uh, when uh, you were there, Bob, so you will have heard George talking about this. He's um, identified, uh, you know, a number of seats where the Workers' Party could make a, a breakthrough. Um, uh, do you feel yourself, you, you get a, a feeling that there, there is a, a chance for the Workers' Party to uh, you know, make an electoral impact at the next election? Well, I think there are many people like me who feel politically homeless um, the Labour Party has shown itself to be endemically corrupt. They uh, sabotaged their own election chances in 2019. You had one 
PLP coup against Corbyn after the other. And they're quite happy with the, the neoliberal policies of the Conservative Party. So they, in reality, there will be no change simply getting a Labour government. Um, so I think there's a lot of people like me. You know, there's a lot of people who are totally disillusioned, don't even get out and vote. Um, so that's what we need to tap into. And what I heard uh, at the Workers' Party meeting was this willingness to work with other groups, because the last thing we need is uh, multiple challenges to the neoliberal status quo and just splitting the vote. So, you know, if we can work collectively with other groups, then I think there's a good chance to make a breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Bob, but certainly when we uh, took the decision to join the Workers' Party, I mean, we've been collaborating with the Workers' Party since it was established. And uh, I just think that the the Workers' Party programme is is, is a programme which which talks about some of the big issues that are important to working class communities. there's less of an emphasis on identity politics and, and, and more of a focus on, on class politics, on economic inequality, and and uh, addressing the the scandal of the of the war machine that has caused so much destruction and devastation around the world. And we're seeing this obviously right now in in Gaza with the genocide that is being perpetrated by the Zionist entity, aided and abetted by. The United Kingdom and the United States of uh, America, and of course you've got NATO's proxy war in Ukraine, which is again there's a bipartisan support uh, for that war. Indeed, it's more than a bipartisan uh, support. I think all of the mainstream political parties that are represented in the Houses of Parliament all support NATO's proxy war. Um, do you get a sense that the that the Program the Workers' Party program as a better chance of uh, connecting with people and resonating with people. What's your, what's your thoughts about the the, the ten point program that the Workers' Party has uh, adopted? Yeah, I think the, the the key the key pillars are you know working in the public interest, trying to uh, reverse the neoliberalism that's taken place over the last thirty to forty years because there has been a, a political duopoly in this country. Um, Starmer has shown himself to be a blatant liar. He made all these pledges and pretended to be a sort of progressive candidate, but he has U-turned on all his pledges. He cannot, you cannot believe a word he says. He was also instrumental in ruining Labour's chances in 2019 with the uh, people's vote and being party to the, uh, or being very silent at least in, in terms of the smear campaign against Corbyn. So there is nothing to see on the shadow front bench that should fill anybody who's keeping an eye on what's going on in this country with any hope that there will be meaningful change. Um, the European economies, the EU and NATO and the UK seem quite willing to inflict self-destructive policies or support self-destructive policies for which the average person in the street pays a price through worsening economic hardship, through decimation of public services. I'll give you one example. So none of these politicians who uh, occupy our our screens were able to point out the reality of what happened in Ukraine. We had a censorship about uh, the Ukraine coup in 2014. You know, I I went online and uh, happened to find or somebody pointed me in the direction of the 
Oliver Stone film, Ukraine on Fire, and I watched it, and I got very quickly a a background to the, to the uh, Russian military action there. So I thought, well, you know, this you can understand why Russian-speaking citizens in the south of Ukraine feel threatened and why they might want to be part of Russia. Um, but then you hear channels like YouTube and others banning the film. Now, that is not a good sign for a functioning democracy where you cannot have open debate. And I'm afraid, you know, what we have is a, a duopoly in bed with the mainstream media acting at the behest of the American empire, I'm afraid, and inflicting economic damage by allowing cheap Russian gas to be the pipeline to be destroyed and even having the cheek to try and blame Russia for bombing their own expensive infrastructure. You couldn't, the lies are getting more and more gross and more and more jarring. I think people with a cursory interest in politics start to scratch their heads and think, hang on, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Some people uh, continue to say that uh, you know Labour is the the lesser of two evils, and that by you know supporting uh, alternative political parties, it would just let the Conservatives in. I mean, what would your response be to people who hold that view at the moment? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty naive. Um, you know, my my biggest preoccupation is to try and prevent the decimation of the NHS, but Labour are fully on board with that. You know, West Reading, Keir Starmer have both said openly, quite blatantly, they welcome the private sector into the NHS. In fact, recently, West Reading said, we will show them the front door, forget the back door, we'll get the private sector further in through the front door. So these people are brazen in terms of the disrespect they have for our public services, presenting the profit extraction from NHS budgets as a solution to any of the crisis that they've been party um, in developing. We know the 13 years of the Blair Brown government did not meaningfully change uh, the prospects uh, for the working people in this country. In fact, they doubled down on Thatcher's policies in terms of uh, public sector privatization. Uh, we had the catastrophe of the Iraq war under the uh, camouflage of being Labour. In fact, the Labour politicians have got away with more than perhaps a Tory party might have done because the Labour supporters went to sleep. So this is this faith in Labour is more of a cult worship. The reality is the policies and the rhetoric are deeply divisive and deeply damaging to the country. And we need an alternative. I'm not prepared to, uh, you know, just vote like a robot for the Labour Party. The last time I voted for them was in uh, 1997 when I fell for the charm offensive by Blair. I thought this guy looks like a breath of fresh air. But, you know, within months he was selling passports to donors and and carrying on the job of Margaret Thatcher. So I thought no matter how good the presentation, the rot is very deep and our political class are serving multinational corporations the city of London and the American war machine, I'm afraid. Yeah, and of course, Tony Tony Blair infamously said his job was to, or he saw his job was to build on Thatcher's achievements rather than tear them down. I mean, I'm not aware of any achievements that uh, you could uh, be uh, 
content with that that Thatcher uh, introduced. But you mentioned uh, West Streeting, who is, of course, the Shadow Health Secretary, who seemingly is, as you say, on board with the private sector um, having a, a big role in the uh, National Health Service. I wonder whether, Bob, for our viewers, you might just sort of set out briefly what the uh, challenges are in terms of uh, trying to reverse this this juggernaut and, and what damage has already been done to the National Health Service. Yeah, so what, what a genuine uh, political party that is interested in the NHS should be calling for is renationalisation because we've had decades of sequential changes in the law which have effectively repurposed the NHS, the last of which went through Parliament last year without any public discussion. Uh, The 2022 Health Act has now in law created 42 new legal entities called integrated care systems, which are public-private partnerships modelled on the American managed care system, dominated by private companies, which will be given the freedom to use public budgets to decide on which care they provide, and any money not spent on care will be kept as profit. So that means denial of care is part of the business plan. And we didn't get there in one big step. We got there by a succession of small steps, each of which are cleverly uh, marketed to us with a sales pitch of somehow this reform will improve the NHS. But each successive reform has made the NHS weaker, more marketized, and diverted money away from the delivery of care, most egregiously private finance initiative, which saddled the NHS with 11, uh, borrowed 11 billion. We're going to pay back over 80 billion over a period of 30 to 50 years, at the end of which we don't own the hospitals. And at the same time, NHS capacity has been halved over the past four decades. So this is a financial scam, shrinking NHS, estate, reducing the number of beds, transferring ownership to the private sector and lining the pockets of the banks and the financiers. That was under Labour. Um, what else have they done? They have they have removed the uh, GP monopoly of providing care. They've gradually introduced private providers who've taken over out-of-hours care. Increasingly, they're taking over general practices. And, you know, a business is only interested in undertaking work from which they can make a profit. And the way they do that is to run down services, to frighten off sick people who might be expensive, to employ the cheapest number of staff, cut corners as much as possible. And clearly you're gonna have an impact on safety and quality of care, but that doesn't matter because as long as the profit's coming in and the regulators turn a blind eye, there's no damage done to their bottom line, which is to satisfy shareholders and extract a profit. You know, in your role uh, as a GP, uh, Bob, I mean, I guess you've seen the consequences of the sort of neoliberal agenda that's been pursued for the last 40 years in terms of how it's impacted on your patients. I mean, how, how has it affected people um, that you uh, deal with uh, compared to what potentially, you know, uh, could have been the situation if, we, if we'd have, uh, you know, had a, a fairer society, a more equitable society where, you know, we uh, eradicated uh, poverty and uh, the consequences of uh, 
poverty that you know so many people experience with presumably you know health, health outcomes and, and, and so on so what's been your sense of, of how that's affected your patients yeah so the economic system we have um, is is about exploitation so if you if you degrade workers rights if you don't pr- protect um, their incomes if you don't uh, give them a decent wage that has a direct effect on that person has a direct effect on the family so you you have a chronic increase in stress and we know stress is a killer in terms of heart disease and and uh, uh, other problems in health people become depressed so the mental health is affected they may turn to drugs as a, or alcohol as a way of coping they can only afford cheap food there's no time for rest and relaxation now if you add all these pressures onto people, well, that's going to have a physical effect and a mental effect on their health. So we're actually, through running a system like this, creating more and more sick people. Now, even on basic economic terms, if you have a sick workforce, they're not going to be very productive. And there's an article in the Financial Times, uh, I think it was about a year ago, which showed the, uh, the numbers mounting on the waiting list actually equated to the same number of people no longer available for work. So this is economically devastating. It's devastating to individuals and to families and to society as a whole. So so that's the uh, sort of economic aspect of it. In terms of NHS fragmentation and marketization, well, what that has done is made the NHS less cohesive and dysfunctional. So you have hospitals that are overstretched, unable to deliver timely and safe care. People go to A&E and get discharged. Either they wait for hours in A&E and decide they're going to go home, or when they're assessed, they're they're not adequately assessed. They might be assessed by non-doctors or very uh, junior doctors, not necessarily getting a senior overview. More and more risk is being taken with the patients. And where do they end up? They end up coming back to see me. Now, only today I had dealings with... um, a chap who's in chronic pain. He he suffers with uh, degenerative back pain, disc problems. I believe you suffered recently with a problem with your back. He became so desperate, he's not been able to work for a year. Um, his income is statutory sick pay. That's not enough to live on. His pain isn't controlled. He's not been able to access physiotherapy. And he took an overdose. People are getting so desperate that they're thinking, I better off take my own life because that seems to be the only way to end my suffering. And this is returning to the days pre-NHS, where elderly people, disabled people, didn't want to be a burden, didn't want to cost their family any money, and they decided to take their life. And we know when the NHS was announced in 1946, there was a big drop in the suicide rate amongst the elderly and the sick. But we're returning to those days, I'm afraid. You hear stories of patients of mine pulling out their own teeth because they can't afford to see the dentist. Or they take out a second loan to pay for their hip replacement because they can't put up with the agony and the disability and the poor quality of life. So every day I'm reminded that we have a dysfunctional NHS, which has plenty of money going into it, but the money is being siphoned away from the delivery of care. We could run a very good health system if we paid attention to what was making people sick in the first place. Uh, Poor nutrition, 
chronic stress, a inhumane economic system uh, that forces everybody to work for a pittance, you know, two, three family members working, maybe working two or three jobs, no time for their children, a breakdown in social cohesion and the family life, and the obvious knock-on effects on their psychology and their physical and mental health. Yeah, I guess that you, I mean you've sort of answered uh, one of the other questions I was going to ask you, Bob. Because again, you know, you get people who often say, "Well, it doesn't really matter who's actually providing it, so long as it's free at the point of need." And we know now, don't we, that uh, much of the National Health Service provision will have the NHS badge, but it's actually the the private sector. So just unpack that a little bit more. You've sort of already touched on that, Bob. But but why does it matter? I mean, you know, it's, it says National Health Service outside. People go in; it's free. What, what's the problem with that, 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 that people need to be aware of? Yeah, so this rhetoric about free at the point of use is deceptive because private insurance is free at the point of use. You only get the sent, sent the bill later on, right? So it's deceptive language. The principle of the NHS was always public provision because then you can control the quality of the staff delivering it. You're in charge of the training. You're in charge of the resources and you maintain good standards. When you get the private sector in, they want to have their cheapest possible workforce and look for the most profitable work. So what do they do? They avoid, they avoid high risk areas of medicine. So they don't want to run A&E departments, but they're quite happy to run urgent care centers. They don't want to run intensive care units because that's extremely expensive and not profitable. So they will cherry pick the activities they're, they're involved with. And what that ends up doing is destabilizing the rest of the NHS, because there's always this cross fertilization, cross subsidy, and also the, the training, which is important. So we know that when you introduce profit into healthcare, it creates perverse incentives. So one example might be if you have a fee for service system, which is uh, you go along, you see the doctor, he decides you need this, that, and the other operation. Well, there becomes a problem where there's an incentive for the doctor to say you need maybe a bigger operation than is genuinely the case, right? Because there's more profit to be made. So it breaks down that trust. Also, you get fraud. So in again, in the fee-for-service system, what's to stop the provider billing for two operations when they've done one operation? So then you need an expensive uh, monitoring system and charging system and billing system. So you have an army of administrators increasing the cost of running the service. Whereas healthcare is a natural monopoly for one other important reason, which is this concept of information asymmetry. Now, when you go to buy a toaster, you might look at three or four toasters on the shelf Maybe you ask a salesman, maybe you look up on some consumer website and, and make a choice. But I put it to you, when you're having your heart attack or your stroke, you're not in a position to shop around for the best stroke unit. And neither are you in, in a position to integrate, you know, interrogate the credentials of the doctor or the consultant looking after you. So it is a deeply flawed concept. The private sector isn't a charity. It wants to maximize profit. And if it means giving you treatment that you don't need or letting you die, so be it. And all you have to do is look at the American system, which is twice as expensive as ours, 
it excludes the elderly and it excludes the poor, so the state has to step in. It's endemically fraudulent. At least 10% of the US budget goes out in fraud. That was an estimate done by Donald Berwick a few years ago. The third highest cause of death after cancer and heart disease is medical error because they have a fragmented, chaotic system where everybody's just doing their little bit, adding on their little drug, doing their extra investigation with no overview or nobody really taking the interest of what's best for this patient. And that was the role of the NHS and particularly the GP as the central person with high continuity of care who had a relationship over years with the patient who actually to get their own job satisfaction and feel like they're doing a good job to have a handle on the patient, to understand the patient's need, to understand the family dynamic, that continuity, that relationship, that trust has been decimated by successive reforms. And they've done it by incentivizing GPs to destroy continuity and to adopt ways of working that are more bureaucratic, more delegation and taking more risk. Yeah. I guess you you feel you've joined the Workers' Party now, that the, the Workers' Party um, is, is best placed to, to make the case for the National Health Service compared to other political parties. Would, would that be a fair assessment of, of one of the reasons why you've joined? Absolutely. So I, I've been supporting the Workers' Party from the beginning. I was at the inaugural meeting. I've done s- several meetings with them. I've spoken to George on his uh, Moats show. You know, we're if anybody invites me, even if the Conservative Party invite me to speak, I will tell them to their face the disastrous policies that they have pursued. And in fact, quite quite uh, surprisingly, maybe, the targets of these reforms are not the poor and the sick, Chris. They're going to be allowed to suffer. The targets of the reforms are the Conservative voting middle classes who will be fleeced of their premium and then be priced out of care when they become expensive or unceremoniously dumped. And where will they be dumped? On an NHS that is now a skid row service. So it's in the self-interest of whole se- the whole sections of society to have a strong NHS, which is functioning in the interest of the patients and not the interest of shareholders. Mm. I mean, one of the other um, key pledges in the in the ten point uh, uh, program that the Workers Party uh, published was this about commitment to providing um, uh, free uh, nursery provision, providing um, laundries for uh, people, which is a novel uh, concept in a way, um, because very often you have both 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 uh, parents um, or maybe single parents, you know, uh, working and. You know, running a house and, and, and holding down a full-time job, and people often have to do that, you know, because the various bills and commitments that they that they have. Um, having those sorts of uh, uh, free facilities would would lift a burden. Um, what are you, what's your thoughts on that on that particular uh, commitment, uh, Bob? And how do you think that would um, sort of have an impact on the you know your patients and and, and their well-being i mean presumably it would be a, it would be a positive benefit for them yeah so you know the big the biggest worry for people that i see what what stresses them out the most what causes anxiety what causes them to become depressed is financial insecurity you know if you add on top of that precarious work uh you know insecure housing that adds a lot of stress and and 
the root cause of that is our pathetic wages for people who in sort of ordinary jobs uh, so so that creates its own own uh, problems and you know the more support we can provide and certainly increasing child care capacity um, allows for for mothers to not only be mothers but also combine work if they wish if they so wish to but you know we mustn't overlook the importance of um, mothers being around for children in particularly in their early years but yes yeah, subsidized uh, child care is a very good idea but it has to be of high quality uh, it has to be run where there's there are low carer to children relationships so that that time in 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 care in child care is very beneficial to the children and the more stable and supportive psychological environment children have the better they will become well adjusted adults and and productive and contributing to society well, listen, Bob. It's been it's been great having you on today, and I'm absolutely delighted that you you've joined forces with the Workers' Party. I do feel that the Workers' Party is in a in a good position now to to move forward and make an impact in the next election and give people a genuine choice, an alternative to the status quo, which is all that's on offer from the mainstream political party. So I shall be certainly looking forward to campaigning alongside you, and you're certainly. Um, a big beast, as it were, and someone who is is well known, and and someone who is uh, you know recognised as, as as being principled and standing up for what's right, and standing up in particular for the national health service. So you will be a huge asset to the workers' party, Bob. Um, how can people uh, follow your work? I think we've put your um, your uh, Twitter handle on the screen, but um, are, are there any other? Uh, ways in which people can keep up with your work or is it simply through your social media platform twitter is the most active but there are there are other resources out there if people want to want to read and uh, get themselves familiar particularly with nhs stuff that that we've done um there's a website called the great nhs um there's a youtube channel uh, the great nhs heist youtube channel there's lots of material on there other than just just the documentary we've made We've made uh, short films. Uh, one that seems to be quite pertinent at the moment was what we warned that would happen to GP services uh, following the 2019 contract change for GPs, where unfortunately our union said it would be a good idea to accept a 100% subsidy for GPs to employ non-doctors. So now we have the perverse situation where there's not enough doctors. However, the financial incentives for GPs are against employing other doctors. So, uh, so you have a unemployed doctors in a desert of doctors. So, yeah. So there's there's much more material on on the website and uh, videos on the YouTube channel, and you know people can DM me on on my Twitter Twitter channel as well. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Bob, for for joining us uh, this evening and. Um... Hopefully you'll have inspired a few more people to uh, join forces uh, with the uh, Workers' Party and, and let's try and you know, build this movement and, uh, and build a genuine alternative because the political system in this country is totally broken. We've got uh, the mainstream political parties are enthralled to the military-industrial uh, complex and they're both signed up to the neoliberal economic agenda, which has wrought absolute uh, havoc across the country, particularly for working class communities. And that's why we have uh, 
over 14 million people living in poverty and uh, around one and a half million people absolutely destitute in one of the biggest economies in the world, the sixth, in fact, biggest economy in the world. It's an absolute scandal that we have the levels of poverty and de uh, deprivation and, and inequality. It's totally unnecessary and we can build an alternative and, and give people a, a you know, real chance of, of creating a good society. And that's what the Workers' Party is is committed to doing. So thanks again, Bob, for, for joining us tonight. And thanks for, for uh, joining the Workers' Party. And thank you, everybody, for watching this evening. We hope to be back next week at the same time. So until then, this is Chris Williamson saying bye for now.